My name's David King. I'm a Gundungurra traditional custodian. My mum was Auntie Mary King. She was born up here on Gadumba clan in a place that we call the gully, Katoomba, Gargaree. My granddad was Essie Cooper. He was a Burragarang man, a place that we call Warragamba. On behalf of my elders, past and present. Burringaling, past. Marinda, present. I'd like to welcome you on behalf of the traditional custodians. In our language, Yadangni, thank you. Welcome to Visit the Blue Mountains, a brand new podcast produced by Blue Mountains Tourism, the official tourism organisation for the Blue Mountains region of New South Wales, Australia. My name is Ronnie Swintek. I am your host and guide for this journey where we will glean fascinating insights into our World Heritage-listed backyard, discover local secrets from the characters who live, work and play here, like Dingo Darbo, a Gundagara man. He will be joining us today to talk about caring for country and much more. Genevieve DeLandis, the events manager for Blue Mountains Tourism, will be here telling us about the Autumnal Equinox Festival. Also today, we will uncover what's hot in food and drink. Yes, where's new to eat and drink? What to do and where to stay in our region? All thanks to Pam Seaborn from Plate Up Blue Mountains. And Jason Cronshaw is the president of Blue Mountains Tourism. He is also managing director of Fantastic Aussie Tours and the famous red double-decker hop-on, hop-off Blue Mountains Explorer bus and operates the Whispering Pines collection of holiday cottages with wife Monique in Lura and Wentworth Falls. Jason's family were founding members of the modern tourism industry in the region, and what a busy man he is. Jason Cronshaw, welcome to the Blue Mountains Tourism Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. You are a busy man. We've we've discovered this through just the introduction that we've done, but we've had two years. We had a few years closed during the pandemic. The Blue Mountains was closed to visitors from around Australia for months and guests from overseas for almost three years. What did our cafes and restaurants, our attractions and accommodation venues do in that time? Well, looking back now, when it really all started back in the bushfires and Echo Point was closed, everyone thought, how could Echo Point possibly close? And um, it closed for a short period of time with the fires, but then we had the floods and then, of course, COVID, which closed everything down for the period of time that we all know. It was a tough time for the whole of the industry. Some people, you know, the classic word of pivoted and changed what they did and did more takeaway, looked at trying to adapt their businesses to how they can do it. Sadly, some businesses closed their doors, mm. but it's good that um, a number have survived and come out the other side. Mm, thank goodness for that. Now, your family has owned the famous big red hop-on, hop-off Explorer bus. It's been a strange thing not to have the visitors here. What's the best thing about having the people back in the Blue Mountains? Oh, it's fantastic to see people coming back and the vibe is back. You know, even Mm. you come back to a little while ago where we had people just starting to come back and, of course, domestic tourism came back first and was busy. But I don't think the true vibe has was really back until we've had the internationals back because the international flavour gives it that... Jazz in the streets as well, because people are here, they spend more time here, there's different languages happening. So it's really that vibrancy that you can see now in the towns and the villages, as well as all the attractions across the mountains. Now, the Blue Mountains is the first tourist destination in Australia. That's a lot of people who've been here on holiday. Is the mountain somewhere you go to once or twice and tick off your been there, done that bucket list? 
There's certainly an aspect of that, especially for international visitors, but there is also definitely people who come back here multiple times. And internationals as well as domestics come back here because a lot of internationals come here and they come up here and they come for a day, but then they realise there is so much more to see and do. So they say next time we come, we have to come and stay the night or two to be able to see other things and really involve themselves in everything that the mountains has got to offer. So what's new? What's been refreshed up in the Blue Mountains? There's a lot of fantastic new food and beverage offerings. We've got a lot of the um, new breweries that have opened. We've and got doing a couple so of, well. Doing really well, like both for the industry here as an attraction for people to come here and experience it, plus their own businesses now selling their brews across the state or across nationally across Australia. The couple of distilleries that we've got winning awards. So all those attractions just bring more people here to the mountains because there's more things to see and do. Tell me about your life, your business. How does it, you've got so much to fit in. You've got Aussie tourism, you've got scenic world and you've got your holiday cottages. Is there anything I've missed? Um, Blue Mountains <laughs> Tourism. And now yes. also, now with the change of the airport coming, we're also expanding that to being Western Sydney Tourism really as well. So the change for Blue Mountains is we used to be part of the West and then part of the North. We are now really connected to Western Sydney and the growth of that, which is going to be amazing for the Blue Mountains with the arrival of the new airport. So that's another hat that I'm being involved with as well. But really, like, life is, it's certainly busy. I've got three kids as well. Love my life with the kids. My wife is pretty supportive. So it is a pretty full-on time. Yeah. Um, it's also coming out of the whole lockdown and COVID, coming back to business. You don't really know what's happening the next day because we're still growing in all areas, the whole industry as well as the different organisations. But for me, it's fun, it's exciting, um, it's been part of my life, the whole life, so it's really, you know, it's not really going to work. It's going to have fun and enjoying it, busy times, but you also get that time to be able to break away. So it's not sort of seven days a week, 10 hours a day. My wife might say that. <laughs> now, as a local, what are your favourite things to do when you have some downtime? I love going down into Megalong Valley, going down to the wineries down there, walking, one good thing for me for COVID is it started me running. My wife was training for the UTA 11 and I said one day, I'll come with you and I huffed and puffed and I said, I'll never do that again. But then I started running and um, so I did my first event last weekend at the Ridgey Didge at Lithgow, 30 kilometres, and I'm signed up for the UTA 50. So that's really my release now um, and my passion to be able to keep doing that as exercise, but as also out here in the Blue Mountains World Heritage Wilderness and seeing more of what the mountains has got. So, Jason, what's coming up in 2023? Um, looking ahead, there is a lot of other festival events that are coming. We've got, um, you know, the, the growth of tourism and the events that are happening in Sydney is going to be great for the Blue Mountains because the people coming to Sydney for those events always then come up to the Blue Mountains. So that's going to be an increase in visitation. Mm -hmm. But Blue Mountains Tourism is also planning to hopefully then re redo Equinox again into next year. The Equinox Festival is just coming to an end now, but then, of course, coming up in the winter, we've got July and the famous Yule Fest yes. um, and the changing of the seasons, really. There's something always evolving to see and do. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. Gandangara man David King, also known as Dingo Dabo, is a member of the Gandangara Aboriginal Heritage Association and a gully traditional owner. A passionate advocate for Indigenous culture and land management, David is a well-known educator and Blue Mountains bush land and swamp carer. 
He mainly works with traditional custodians conducting walks and talks at Dingo Darbo and has also worked as a discovery ranger at National Parks and Wildlife Services and is the Indigenous Engagement Officer at Scenic World. David, your totem name is Dingo Dargo. What is the significance of that name? So culturally, a totem that we would call a skin is like the animal that you walk with. So you are born into a clan area. Mm-hmm. So my mum was born here in Gadumba, Katoomba, and she's Lyrebird. Oh. But my maternal side, so from the grandparents' level, comes through Baragarang, so I'm emu. So quite often you'll you'll hear the word either skin, totem or moiety. So that's the significance culturally. In regards to the boundaries of country and the different cultures in between, how are they defined in the Blue Mountains? I think the hardest thing for society in general to understand nowadays is they, they technically were clear to us but they weren't like a fence line. So Mm. whenever you meet with people, they almost want you to have a left and a right turn sort of thing. They go, you went down there and you turned left, and we sort of did, Mm. but it's landscape-based. Right. So landscape taught you where you couldn't, couldn't go. And when you mean by landscape, you mean like sheer cliffs and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. There were certain valleys that were inhospitable. There were certain creek lines that had scarred trees that told you a story about where you were going. Um, Even the landscape itself, when it changed from, say, you know, um, different forms of sandstone, Mm -hmm. then different eucalypts would grow, Mm. you you knew that you didn't know the story of that eucalypt, so it wasn't your country. So there was major differences in the landscape that spoke to you. So country, again, was important Yes, because as you looked at country, your your uncles and when you're younger, your aunties, if you're like David King, a, a fella, they would share you stories of where you could go so you knew in your heart where to go and as you grew up, if they trusted you, then they'd share you more stories so it would increase your pathways And if you were that trustworthy, you might get the whole of country. So when people say to me, oh, I need you to come and and help look after this, quite often my answer is, but I'll need these other nations with me Mm -hmm. because that's how we met for thousands of years. And modern society sometimes doesn't cope with that. They just want the Aboriginal person to turn up and they go, wow, we've got the Aboriginal fellas here, Dave King. But sometimes David King can't turn up unless the other nations sit with him. And that's that's a hard thing. That's not a left and right fence line. That's mm. very much, yeah. It's respectful. Yeah, it's how culture worked for thousands of years. It's amazing because you there, there's no boundaries, but yet you have them. Correct. It's like it kind of reminds me of when man first went up into space, you know, and then they looked down on the planet Earth. And they go, there's no boundaries, there's no borders, we are all one. 100%. That's such an Aboriginal statement. It is having a bit of goosebumps here. <laughs> I think that's what we aim for. You, yeah. you just, you, you honestly hear it when I travel the country and, and speak to different Aboriginal nations, that sense of connection. Uh, I think 
You know, some people make the choice to come in aggressively, but if you sit and talk and yarn, mm. you hear of so many non-Indigenous people connecting with the local nations sitting on country, it's that attitude and understanding, hey. Mm. Just what I mean. It's, it's very hard. We didn't have a left or right. We had a landscape. Yep. We respected that. But then within that landscape, with the right permission and trust, you could go and, you know, we would meet with our Darug, with our Darawal, with our Ngunnawal, with our Baradjuri neighbours. So there were access and there was permission and trust. Mm. So I think that's what we need to sort of rekindle in our society to, to keep everything sort of flowing because, um, you know, Blue Mountains are gorgeous. It's yeah. just a sensational place to live and work. Yeah. And you have those connections that are still strong. And I think as we enhance them, it, it broadens us as a community. So it isn't just for Aboriginal people. Mm-hmm. Everyone can connect to that. Well, you share that all the time with your work at Scenic World. I totally love it. What I've really enjoyed about sort of stepping up my footprint in tourism, like I used to um, work on country, you know, out in the bush with, with small groups, but increasing the footprint to the broader tourism, looking at the view, sitting with people and sharing about country, you can just see that sense of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people desire it. And as we increase, we I always call it, you know, I think it's common for all of us, and we increase that footprint um, yeah, I get to share the stories of country, the law stories, the dreaming stories, the dream time, and just that sense of appreciation of life and 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 connection. It's, yeah, it's yeah, I love it. It's a great job. And you also uh, help non-Indigenous Australians be able to understand Indigenous culture and appreciate it. I, I enjoy the fact that when I came up here in the nineteen nineties, a lot of the uncles and aunties who I sat with, shared me the stories of this country. So it's good that you can actually sit with groups. Is this um, your yarning circle? Yeah, whether it's at Scenic World, across the road at conference centres, at different resorts up here, mm-hmm. in schools, unis, TAFE. You can sit there and explain that the culture has a tradition that is across Australia but there are specifics, like the lyrebird. This is our skin moiety totem here, and you head out through the back, out in the central desert, it'll change. Mm. So I, I got shared a beautiful story about the different types of boomerangs there are by one of my uncles one day. I was just having a good Darbo out there on a ridgeline, and he went, oh, wouldn't it be good if we had these boomerangs that came back? And me being the good Aboriginal tourist guy, I went, Don't every, doesn't every boomerang come back? <laughs> Obviously, they they? didn't. There were different types. Oh, wow. Depending on where you were on your nation. And so I I find it's good to share that. So I I bring a culture kit and I I go through the different ochres and the different tools. And I say to people, when you get to your next Aboriginal nation, try and find someone to sit down and and hear how they used or what they used. So I, I enjoy that aspect of being able to share this country, mm. and then encourage them to go and learn their next country. Because, you know, 
there's three or four hundred different Aboriginal nations across this great brown land. Yeah. So everyone will have, you know, there's a tradition, smokings, welcomes, you know, the your different sort of, your tools are, are predominantly of the same style, but depending on what your country is, like landscape-wise, it depends on how you use it. So it's good to learn those things. If you had to uh, talk to a, a tourist coming up to the Blue Mountains and they said, I've got four hours, where would you tell them to go? So firstly, go to a lookout and have a look at country because I think you get to appreciate it. And I think the beauty of the Blue Mountains, you can go down to Mount Portal and look across the Sydney Basin. You can come a, a, a bit further up and... You know, you get around Woodford and that, and you can look south, or when you get around Wentworth Falls, Katoomba, you can head over to the back and look over the Megalong or head over, look over the Gross. I think that's something that when you first come onto country, you get that appreciation of connection and and the vastness and the beauty. And then um, I personally head for the Grand Canyon Walk at Blackheath. I just tend to find the environs that are in there, your different landscape and ecosystems, it's just beautiful. It sort of has that connection of rainforest, open woodland. It, it has that three- or four-hour work. You can appreciate the canyons that go down to your left. Mm-hmm. And then if you do it, I always do it technically backwards. I park at the lookout, I come back up, then I go in and then you walk out of the steps and it's like having a uh, cardio thing. Yeah. <laughs> and then you come up and look at the growth and then you go, wow, this is country. But in, in saying that, there are so many beautiful, short, long walks. across. I think we are really, really blessed in the mountains mm. to have so many walks. Like I live near Horseshoe Falls at um, Hazelbrook and that's sensational. You know, uh, you go out through the Bacalura to the Pools of Siloam and just going into there, it's, you know, the, the tree ferns, the banksias, the beautiful gums. Mm. Well, then you can just go, you know, way out towards the end of McMahon's lookout down there towards Tablelands Road and just see you like, you're like in the middle of nowhere. It's that remote sensation, hey? David, thank you so much for your time today. No, thanks for uh, having me along. I've... So I could talk country for weeks and I just... Uh, <laughs> well, we'll get you back country, in Country, community and culture. 100%. Is, I love it. Thank you. Yadang ni. Thank you. Pam Seaborn from Plate Up Blue Mountains promotes the food and beverage growers, makers and suppliers and the chefs and venues of the area. Pam, welcome. Thank you, Ronnie. It's lovely to be here. Food and beverage. Yes, it's your thing. It's my thing. It's a tourism thing too. It is, and definitely a tourism thing. Does the Blue Mountains cut it as a foodie destination? I believe it does. I believe that we have the chefs up here who are doing really great things. Um, we have hatted restaurants. Mm. I believe that we do have the ingredients up here. What tingles your taste buds in the Blue Mountains? What's the food and beverage scene right now? Where do you go? What would you recommend? I'm excited by chefs in the local regional and seasonal food. Plate Up Blue Mountains is all about local, regional, seasonal food. Mm-hmm. That's what we need to promote is, and we need to say to people, this is what you need to come up for mm. because you'll see all our local produce and our local chefs cook it 
magnificently and it'll be seasonal. I'm excited that we have a new enterprise in Megalong Valley. I don't know whether you've heard about that or not. It's a new farm restaurant with, I understand, seven acres of produce which will be used in the restaurant. What is this place? Tell me all about it. It's called Lot 101. So this Colin Barker used to be at the boathouse in in uh, Blackwattle Bay. Yeah. So thank God he's here now in the Megalong Valley. Yes. (laughs) The Megalong Valley is becoming a destination in itself. We've got the wineries. The winery is amazing. Yes. So Colin has now the uh, Megalong Tea Rooms. So I'm very excited by by that. We've also had uh, Black Restaurant. Yes, we've got Black. And Marte's been in the mountains before. Marte Herseg, who was the chef, he's been in the mountains before. And uh, he's a wonderful chef that uses local produce. He's a devotee. Mm. The Escarpment Group also use local produce, uh, local regional seasonal pro- produce in all of their outlets. That's Lillianfeld's, Echoes, the Hydro, Parklands, and they even mark on their menus how much of a percentage of what they use. Talk me through high teas up here. (laughs) I have been to a few, but you tell me because you're the expert. Well, high teas, um, I'm not sure that I'm an expert on high teas, but I do love a good high tea. Oh, who doesn't? And some people hesitate to call them high teas. Why? They call them an afternoon tea. or But the hydro does that really well Mm. in the winter garden. They do that brilliantly and they come along with the high stands. And And you have your choice of um, a sort of like an Asian. You can have Asian or you can have traditional and the Asian is lovely. I know that. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Now, for something... Quirky, you cannot miss bygone beauties. And he has, you know, Morris is quirky in his own style anyway. Mm-hmm. And he um, he has a guy coming out all in the um, British flag in, a, in an outfit. Love it. And um, Land of Hope and Glory, I think it is playing as oh, it comes out. And the trolley of beautiful foods. Mm. Shall we talk about the Blue Mountains Craft Beverage Trail? I think that is a fantastic thing to have. To when you think about, we've got a beers. That mm. are award-winning. Number one. Yes, I know. In Australia. I know. I love those trails. So if somebody came up and they wanted to try everything, mm. well, you just look at the trail and there you go. Give us an example. Well, I think you've certainly over at Bilpin, you've got, you know, a certain amount of things over there. Uh, and, of course, through Katoomba and Blackheath. And so there's plenty to see and to do with our beverages. What What's in Katoomba that's tempting you at the moment? So in Katoomba, of course, there's the Brasserie from the Carrington Hotel. But, you know, their Grand Dining Room serves fantastic food. Mm. And I, I sometimes think that people see it as a special occasion or because that grand dining room is stunning. It is beautiful. The whole hotel is stunning. It is. And so true to its roots. And the artwork that remains yes, there. that's right. It's incredible. I just think that's a great place to go, not just for a special occasion, but just for a night out. And don't forget Misha at Eight Things. Very fun as well. Yes. A lot of fun, that food. Yeah, and he's only got eight things on the menu. He changes it regularly. It's great fun. If I'm uh, if I'm in Springwood, 
Where would I go? I would for go to Arana. That has just won a chef's hat. Yes. And one of the things that I really love and I'm into at the moment that I'd like to see promoted heavily or more of is Australian native flavours. And Arana is into Australian native flavours. Give me an example. Well, I think it's just, um, you know, I mean, the ingredients, the lemon and the and the bush tomatoes and the lemon myrtle and the, it's our same kind of fish and meats and everything, but all with this different flavours. Uh-huh. And it, they're really quite lovely. And that's what Arana is um, is using a lot of. If you're going to do a meal trail through the mountains... Where would you start and where would you finish? I'd be down the Megalong Valley mm-hmm. and I would certainly be trying this new restaurant, Lot 101. Mm. And, of course, the wines down there. Mm. Dry Ridge. Yeah, Dry Ridge and um, Megalong Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, Blackheath, I would try Ates, which has a hat. Mm. That's the old Vulcans. Okay. And Cinnabar. I really like the contemporaneous of black. Yes, and black. I, 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 that was my next yeah. thing. Yeah, he's uh, he's a fantastic chef, Marte. So, Pam, Lura Harvest Festival is coming up. Tell me all about that. Now, Lura Harvest Festival um, hasn't – we haven't had it for about four years because of everything, the, everything we've always mentioned. <laughs> and uh, But it's on May 6th. Lura Mall will be closed. Um, lots of stalls, and it is exactly what it says, Lura Harvest Festival. It's local produce, sustainability. Um, so if you've got, you know, a produce you want to sell or anything like that, and if you're just love good food, go. When you say Lura Mall's closed, it's just the the street is closed. The street is closed for, for cars. For cars. Yes. And there's stalls line both sides of the mall mm-hmm. and they have fun things like uh, Joseph Hans does the chocolate cake competition. Mm-hmm. Yum. Uh, and there is a chook competition. A chook? What does that involve? A chook competition is delightful and all the little kids bring their chooks. Oh. And they're judged. Oh, do they dress them up? Oh, they do all sorts of things. And it is just so lovely because the, the chook is nestled in the little kid's arms. Yep. And um, I did say to one of the judges once, um, how are you going to do this? You'll break hearts. And mm. she said, there'll be a prize for everybody. <laughs> Of course, of course. So there's going to be great food. Lots of food, lots of wine. Scarecrow competition at Birch's uh, Nursery. Um, It's all happening. So go online, have a look. It's a great, great day out. What's the dates again? May 6th. Okay, awesome. Saturday, May 6th, all day in the mall. And you don't want to miss it. It's one of the best festivals we have in the mountains. Well, Pam, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. We've covered a lot of ground. We have. We have indeed. (laughs) And look forward to hearing from you on our next podcast. Okay, that's lovely. Thanks, Ronnie. Genevieve DeLandes is the events manager for Blue Mountains Tourism. She and her team created the annual Equinox Autumn Celebration of the Census Festival last year and built an even bigger and better event this year. 
Hi, Jen. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? Good. Now, you are the creator of the Equinox Festival. It runs for quite a while. Give us the dates. Give us some parameters. Yes. Well, when we first created the concept for Equinox, it was really to land into a bit of a slower period and kind of taking over March and the change of season as it cools down and then Mm -hmm. the nights start getting a little bit colder and the sun sets a little bit earlier. That's really what we wish to celebrate. Um, and, and I might not take the whole credit for creating it because because the way we worked, we really worked with as many businesses as possible locally to create what they felt was needed, which is how we ended up with over 30 events over four weeks from a small magic show at Hotel Etico all the way to multiple autumn menus and different beautiful delicious tables. It, it was really varied. So the goal is that every year we celebrate autumn and we adapt to the new businesses around, to the new opportunities. Maybe there's new chefs uh, or new venues that we can have fun with. So it's very flexible, but all about touching the, the different senses mm-hmm. and celebrating the change in season. So what is great about the region in autumn? Oh, I feel like you really feel autumn in the mountains. You do. Um, as a native Canadian, I miss the very distinct four seasons. But when I come up the mountains and I spend half of my life, my life nowadays here, I really feel the change of season. And there's the beautiful leaves changing. Mm. You can get some beautiful hikes with, with landscape that you don't see in too many places, especially if you're down in Sydney at the beaches. You forget that you have this beautiful landscape and the beautiful forest just an hour, an hour and a half away waiting for you. I know one of my favourite drives is through Wentworth Falls near the Lake Sinclair Crescent and they've got the beautiful trees bordering the side and they go from green to these amazing colours and then they fall down and you see the tourists coming and throwing the leaves in the air and taking photos. Yeah, it's just a natural frame. It's Mother Nature just giving you a bit of magic. So I think this is what Equinox is all about. And I really feel like with the second edition, we were allowed to to really celebrate. The The first edition was uh, challenged by COVID and the floods. And now we've started really gaining speed and we can't wait for next year already. So I've only, if I've only got a small amount of money, how can I enjoy the Equinox Festival? Uh, you, you can enjoy free yoga sessions. Uh, that are really built uh, to celebrate the change of season. So we do them at sunsets. uh, And we do, like we just did a few weeks ago at Happy Buddha in uh, Wentworth Falls. We did a yin yoga session, but also a vinyasa. So if you want to be more active and sweat and Uh really test your your skills, you go to vinyasa. But if you want to just relax and have a, a more healing uh, equinox celebration, you go to yin yoga. And that was entirely free to make sure that we um, we have events that they don't need to cost you anything. It's yeah. just about celebrating the region and the season. And we also had a lot of different options like the Flavors Festival mm-hmm. that happened at KCC with over 70 different stalls. So you could go in and buy a full lunch or you could go in and just enjoy the, the music and, and take a walk. So there's, there's a lot of different options and we try to think about all all the different wallet sizes. Okay, I got a big wallet now. 
Ah. <laughs> How can I enjoy the Equinox oh, Festival? Oh, if you have a big wallet. Unlimited budget. Oh, you could have splurged on a masquerade ball at the Carrington. That was <gasps> just magical um, uh, a few weeks ago. So uh, 80 people in the in the grand dining room with a three-course menu and masks and live music. That was really magical. Mm, that sounds wonderful. Yes. And we also had a gorgeous candlelit dinner at the lookout at Echo Point. So beautiful wow. five-course meal overlooking Echo Point with just candles celebrating oh. Earth Hour. So a lot of different options. Sounds wildly romantic as well. It was. <laughs> I, I thought, ooh, too bad it's not Valentine's Day. Because, <laughs> yes, it was very romantic and it was mainly couples indeed. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. There's so many other things coming up. What are we looking forward to in the next few months? In the next few months, well, we've got Ultra Trail around the corner in That's May. That's so big. I mean, not everybody can go and do the ultra trail, but anyone who is remotely interested in, in, in race and running, that is one of the classics. But it, it, I feel like it really fills the region with the most athletic people ever. And I know I've, I've seen people walking after the, the event and they've got their most comfortable shoes on, Ugg boots, <laughs> slippers. It doesn't matter. They're going out and they're wearing those. I think that's wonderful. <laughs> You wouldn't pay me enough to do it, but I admire anyone who does it. Oh, God, yes. I mean, but what, how many, what, what are the distances these people cover? The first level is 11 kilometres, which for me would be enough to, to put me down on the floor. Absolutely. Uh, but then you can double up to 22 oh and God. then go to 50. Oh. And I'm not joking, it goes to 100. 100 Ks. Yeah. They run in the dark and they have little flashlights on their heads so they can run in the dark. Avid runners often say it's like meditation for them. That's how they release all of their stress. That's how <laughs> they really think about everything that's going on in life. Maybe we need to start. Maybe. A good glass of wine does that for me as well. But anyway, you can do that after the Ultra Trail Marathon. That's right. So, Jen... After the Ultra Trail, what happens then? How do we recover from Ultra Trail? <laughs> we have winter magic. <gasps> so we are told that it's back bigger and better and we're waiting to hear for more. So I think it's a classic and we're all very, very excited. It always is an exciting event. Your Fest comes after winter magic yes. and that is one of the best times in the mountains and possibly one of the best Christmases you could ever have. I think so. It's really Christmas in July, but amped up. It's across the region, and you know, from one end to the other, uh, from ugly Christmas sweaters oh, uh, to it. hams and turkeys and crackling fires and beautiful meals with friends. And um, we often joke that it's kind of the Christmas that you choose to celebrate. <laughs> I'm sorry, my family, <laughs> but um, y there's less obligation. Mm -hmm. you, you, you take the moment to go and enjoy and a beautiful And gifts home. aren't required, are they? They're not, but, you know, if anyone invites me to Yule Fest, gifts are welcome. Yes. <laughs> uh, but what I love as well, and again, that's maybe my Canadian soul, but I love that it's the right season. Mm. So you've got the fire and the Christmas tree makes sense. And uh -huh. it's just, you know, it's not blistering 35 degrees. So it's really nice to have such a great opportunity to celebrate Christmas again. And sometimes we get snow. Mm. And sometimes they create the snow as well 
in some venues. I know the Carrington does it and I'm pretty sure Lillianfels has done it in the past as well. They have their own snow machine. It's just magical. I think it's um, it's it, it suits the region and it it's, again, another way to sample all the great flavours and ingredients and chefs. So I sound like all I want to do is eat, but there's a lot of that going on. Well, you know, we were talking about this before with Pam Seaborn. There's a lot to eat and there's a lot to drink up here, um, but that's what we have to make sure that everybody's aware of. Not only do we have beautiful tourist destinations to go and view beautiful things, but there's a lot to eat and drink up here as uh, well. So much. And you're going to eat and drink so much that you have to stay for a night or two. Absolutely. Maybe three. <laughs> three sounds great. <laughs> now, where can I go to to source more information and book things and all that sort of stuff, Jen? Obviously, visit bluemountains.com.au is the gr- a great source. It's updated regularly. It's it's the website that really gathers a lot of information. Of course, you've got your Facebook and Instagram for uh, Visit Blue Mountains as well. Um, but if not, you just have to come up. Come up to the mountains and, and you'll definitely find a lot to experience. There sure is. Thank you for your time, Jen. Thank you. You have been listening to Visit the Blue Mountains, a podcast produced by Blue Mountains Tourism. This episode was produced by Ellen Hill. Episode editor was David Post, recorded at KFM Media Studios. Music was composed by Rusty Pedal Music. The Welcome to Country was delivered by David King. And I'm Ronnie Swintek. And thanks for joining us. This podcast is made possible by $2.6 million from the Bushfire Local Economic Recovery Fund, co-funded by the Australian Government and New South Wales Government. With the grant Blue Mountains Tourism as the leading tourism authority in the region, will administer and manage the Blue Mountains Visitor Economy Revitalisation Project, a two-year destination management program that will reinstate the Blue Mountains as a key tourist destination in New South Wales and Australia.